All right, welcome in. Porter Cunningham here, Scissor Tail Podcast. I'm all by myself this time, at least for a little introduction here. Wanted to try to get this out to you. We've been sitting on this for quite some time, way too long. Haven't really had a chance to get together and give it the justice it deserves in terms of a conversation. But So, we talked to Bob Funk Jr. that's going to come to you shortly. Had a great conversation with him, we being Alan and I. Uh, we covered a ton of topics um, he was very honest, as you'll see, very transparent. It was a great, engaging conversation about the energy, about uh, the USL, about soccer in Oklahoma City. Um, and it was certainly part one of a multi-part series. So we're excited to bring it to you. And I'll see you on the other side with a little bit more discussion. All right, welcome back, Scissor Tail Podcast. This is Porter Cunningham, by the way, Alan Chapman, and we are joined by a very special guest today, Bob Funk of Prodigal and Energy FC. Bob, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely, happy to be here. Thanks. We've got a very long list of questions to go over with you. It's going to be a very entertaining conversation to say I the least. So. <laughs> so hopefully time permits us to get through all of them. But if not, we very much appreciate your time. And uh, hopefully we could do this again sometime as more sure. questions come up. But to get started, if you could just fill us in about yourself, what Oklahoma City means to you, and why you started Prodigal. Okay, well, I'll try and be uh, a brief uh, or use brevity as much as possible, because that's a lot of experience. So born and raised in Oklahoma City, lived in Piedmont all my life. So graduated with 60 people, town of 2,500 at the time, small wheat farming community, grew up playing uh, soccer when I was younger, stopped playing soccer, then went to baseball, then played baseball and basketball for a long time, then played basketball and football, and then uh, just stuck with basketball and, and went on a, a scholarship to Oklahoma Baptist at the time. So played basketball, got my degree from there. Our family business is a staffing business, Express Employment Professional. So I grew up in that business for the most part all my life, understanding what staffing is and, and putting people to work. That was mainly our, our whole family kind of mantra was, you know, having a business that you can actually do well with and, and be successful, but also getting to help people. So that's kind of how I, uh, what I grew up with. And I, and I loved growing up in a small town. It was great. Um, I grew up in well, a bunch of uh, small farming families, uh, reality. Uh, and most of the people, I, I would say probably 50% of the people that I grew up with, I graduated with starting from kindergarten up. So nice uh, upbringing. Went to OBU, got my international business degree there. And started off in my sports career uh, when we bought the hockey team, the Blazers, here. So worked for the Blazers for three years as the uh, director of business operations. When we bought the team, there was no computer networks. Josh Evans had been here at that time frame. Um, he yeah, Make a note that Bob is pointing at Josh yeah, sorry. Evans, communications director. <laughs> so... Um, we didn't have a computer network. We didn't really have an active set of books. Uh, Accounting-wise, it was it was a, a loose operation, to, to say the least, at the time. So it was basically my job to come in and, and institute just some, gen, some general business practices, 
things that went through all our businesses at that point in time, not just the staffing business, but some of our other private-related businesses. And so that's how I got in, into the sports business. I uh, started learning more and more by working at the venue and doing some of the tennis events that we did, learning more and more about the sports and entertainment business. And kind of outgrew it. At that point, I, I got to know this group out of Kansas City called the RCA Group. A guy uh, that owned that company had formerly been the uh, the director of marketing and promotions for the Chiefs and gone out on his own and kind of just started doing all different types of sporting events. So we did we did basketball, we did tennis, we did X Games, we did, uh, I don't know if you guys remember, uh, something called the N1 Mixtape Tour. Yes. Yeah, so that show Streetball, that was on TV. The Professor. Yeah, The Professor, yes. Hot Sauce, uh, Main Event, AO, all those guys. Uh, I managed that tour. So all, all the cities that we went to, the 30 cities that we went to, and the NBA venues that we were in, I managed that from from beginning to end uh, when we were on the road. And so between marketing, ticket sales, um, the operations side of it, got to really know the business at a very granular level and then got and also got to work all those other events, too. I worked for them for, you know, on full time uh, for three years and then went on contract with them for a long time. And then eventually I moved out to Reno, Nevada, bounced around the country, got married and eventually moved back to Oklahoma City. It was at that time that we were, and I had long and sorted, a whole nother long and sorted story. We were in the middle of a lawsuit involving the Blazers. We shut the Blazers down. We started up an AHL hockey team. And it's that time I, I decided that we could probably do something similar to where I worked in Kansas City, which was Prodigal. So we partnered with Edmonton on the Barons and then ran Prodigal as we do today working a bunch of other types of events but our specialty is probably team management team marketing um and op, uh, operations and, and sales from that standpoint so uh we, at the same time we had owned the red hawks uh, prodigal was affiliated with the red hawks but we owned the red hawks uh, kind of separately and had engaged to sell that off and sold that off in 2010 uh, but we operated that from 2004 i think is when we bought that 2004 to 2010 i wasn't here at the time when we bought it but i came back and, and worked with worked with them when we when we got back when i moved back in 2009 um so that's kind of my my basic history and 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 then you know as we sold off the baseball team i would rather not sold off the baseball team but it was it was a good opportunity for us uh and so we sold the baseball team Barons, I, I know for a fact I've given away more cars than any other minor league team uh, in the there history. Was a, there was a season there the, where you gave away like four or five? Two seasons, I gave away 27 cars. Goodness. 13, uh, 13 over the first season, 14 over the over the next season. Okay. Um, and we had, we had at the time there was a lockout, so I had number one draft picks uh, in market. We tried everything. There wasn't anything. We put a million dollars plus in our advertising budget one year just to try and make a dent, and and it's just not a hockey town anymore. So after five years of, of slugging it out with that product, I had always been keeping an eye on, as when we started that team up, I knew we were going to sell and close on the Red Hawks. I was like, I need another summer sport. And I was sitting, I remember sitting in the production trailer, yeah, X Games, and then between our X Games breaks, I was no, it would have been 2010. I kept noticing that they were broadcasting not just World Cup soccer but other soccer in between in between the gaps in the programming. 
And we're upset her talking to him, talking to one of the production guys. And I said, I noticed you guys are programming a lot. He's like, yeah, this is nothing. He's like, we've got a whole nother six, eight months slated for this. And, this, and they're, they're investing, like what we're hearing, they're going to start investing a lot more money uh, in soccer in the United States. And so that perked my ears up. And, and we'd had, I had a proposal come across my desk probably a month later. I had a proposal come across my desk and Alec Papadakis and uh, Chris Economides and Tim Holt came to Oklahoma City in October and we sat down and started talking about USL Pro at the time. They had just gone through that schism. Uh, I knew loosely about them uh, just from just some inter- some remedial type of education I'd done on the internet and we had uh, just had a good conversation. And so we started walking down that path. That's kind of how we got here today after that. Uh, so give me, uh, we asked Jeff the same question and it was really insightful. I think a lot of people know energy and know the prodigal as energy FC, but real quickly list me off a few other things that prodigal does in the Oklahoma city community that we can recognize. Okay. So, um, open streets, street festival. Uh, we do that. We also co-promote, uh, the PBR event here locally. We've done that for a long time and the one in Tulsa. Uh, so we co-promote those two events. No, uh, we participated one year in the bike race, the uh, pro am. Mm-hmm. The pop up shops too, right? The pop up, the winter shops. Yeah, yeah. Yes, uh, St. Patrick's Day, which I'm really bummed about because that got screwed this last year, and we didn't get to because of the streets being torn up. Like there was no viable route for it. So you were bummed about, about it. it. <laughs> I know, right? Well, the good news is though, I think I with the with the, with the new schedule coming out, um, they're bumping up our, uh, bumping up a week, so our season should coincide with St. Patrick's Day. Ooh, a March. So season. we may be able to. Um, my hope is that we can figure out how to bring the parade back in conjunction with St. Patty's Day and a, and a, have and the parade a home opener. end at Taft or something? Uh, yeah, so do something like that. Or, or, and, and then, then and slow to me in the center circle like a <laughs> Sacrifice for a successful season. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's some good backstory that's on you. Visual, and, huh? and, <laughs> with the kilt on. <laughs> So uh, obviously, from if not from the beginning, from very early on in the Energy FC days, the goal of the team, of the club, of the organization has been a spot at the highest level of American soccer, yeah. which right now is MLS. Has this goal changed or evolved in the last few years? I mean, I know it has. The timeline has changed yeah. possibly with some of the things that you've said, but has the goal changed otherwise besides that? Yeah, it's it's like anything else. Sports and business in general, you know, you have to you have to adapt. Yeah, but it, but at the same time you have to adapt. I guess the easiest way for me to make an analogy of this is nobody gets on a boat just to get on a boat to travel. You know, you're not you don't get on a boat just to go in the ocean, just to go out in the middle of the ocean, not really know where you're going. There's always a destination in mind. Now, when you get out, when you set out in your destination, you've got storms to contend with, maybe rough seas, maybe traffic, maybe just all these different things that may come and occur. You may have to change course in some way, but the destination is always still the same. And so when we started this, it was always my goal to never settle for, I was always dream big, um, right, wrong, or indifferent. And uh, today, as we, as we sit in these chairs, the highest level of soccer, professional soccer in the United States, is the MLS. Uh, and so that's always been the goal. Uh, now, could that change? Um, 
and could in terms of time frame, in terms of when we get there, how we get there, yeah, that could change. But the goal has always been has been the same to get the highest level that Oklahoma City can achieve. Uh, and maybe in the short term, that is only the USL uh, when it's all said and done. The USL is a great league. We're you know we're at 33 teams now. There's a there's definitely the opportunity for us to go to 36 to 38. Um, you know, depending on what happens with the MLS two teams, yeah, maybe we. We contract a little bit, but we're still going to be in that 30 to 32 range, I think, when it all settles out. I think it's a good size for a league. Travel's manageable. So it's still a really good league to be in, and I think we can still do great things and have a great, put a great product on the field um, for the fans in the short term. You know, the, 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 where we get the future, I would still absolutely love to be in a Division One league the top notch, I think Oklahoma City can handle it. Uh, not maybe right in the immediacy, but very in the near future, very soon. Um, I think we can we can handle it if we're willing to build the stadium. Uh, I think we can put a team here. It's complementary to the Thunder schedule. Um, it works. I think it, it works well across all demographics, and it achieves what Tim and I set out to do as one of our kind of our founding principles uh, with the energy is to unite people of Oklahoma City under one banner. And I think that there's an opportunity through all the different demographics that exist here in Oklahoma City, through the, uh, the suburbs, through the urban population, uh, you know, the Asian American population, the African American population, the, the Latino population, all of us to be able to enjoy a sport as one large community. And that, I think soccer is the best opportunity to do so. So you mentioned the USL Contracting and growing in the ever-changing, uh, I mean, the ever-changing soccer landscape, but especially the ever-changing lower division soccer landscape. So yesterday, obviously, the United States Soccer Federation rejected the NASL's long-standing application, the application that they've had out there for years or whatever. And so now everyone's obviously jumping to conclusions about what that's going to mean for the USL and other leagues. Uh, do you have any comments on that or do you have anything that you'd like to see as a cause of that or is it is it too early to tell well no i mean yeah uh, we'll see how this all fares out because i think this is a uh, this is a bomb that got dropped yesterday and everyone's kind of figuring trying to figure out how to deal with this um you know uh, all i can state is my what i believe my own personal opinions some of them i've already stated in the press when we saw when we made our push for division two last december i stated very emphatically like we are the only league that I, I believe that has no problem qualifying for D2 status um, in terms of market size, the ownership groups, all the qualifications from that standpoint. Well, I think we have we, we have some MLS2 teams that would arguably probably op- are operating in area and in, uh, in stadiums that are that don't meet the qualifications that I think that needs to be fixed, that needs to be remedied. But as an, uh, if you look at us in the, as a league in, in our entirety, uh, from a USL standpoint, we're the best. We're the best qualified league to operate in that D, in the D two level. And so, I absolutely emphatically believe that we should be sanctioned as as the D two league in the United States. And so, but I mean, as you can see, I mean, it's it's uh, sometimes you feel like you're on quicksand because you never know what's going to happen. I think the USSF is trying to make. They're trying to make strides in becoming what they what they um, what they need to be, which is the leaders uh, in the United States. They're 
kind of navigating their own waters and how to get there because, you know, they, they, they've got to, they've got to please a lot of different entities. I mean, as big as the organization they are from the amateur level to the pro level. So they have a, they have a, they have a hard, really, have a really hard job on their hands. And then at the same time, you know, when we're banging on the table saying we're a D2 league, you got to sanction us as a D2 league. That probably doesn't help matters any. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what the deal with the dust clears in the end. What I love for us all just to come together. What I, uh, I guess, uh, and there, there's a question back to you guys on this cause I want your input. Um, what I, do, what I don't like when it comes to sports, like sports and operating this business, uh, in the sports business as a franchise owner is tough enough as it is. It's not like you walk out on a production floor and you can make widgets. And you go sell, you take those, those widgets to market and go sell them. Our business is so much different than that. It's almost like, um, at almost any time, there's always something going wrong with the machine. So, because the market tastes change, you're trying to, you've got five different demographics that want to come see your sport and you're trying to please them all. And they all have different tastes and they all have different wants. And so any one little change within your business model, You've got to address, but then that upset, then you either walk away from something else and something else comes up or you, or it changes how you interact with this part of your business over here, whether it's tickets or operating the venue or, or working with supporters groups, you know, whatever that is, it's this big balancing act across the, across the table that you have to maintain. And so running the businesses is is harder. It's the most challenging business that I think a lot of people can be in. And if you don't like the constant crisis and the constant, um, it never stabilizes. So if you don't like that, then if you're not, then you're really not suited for the business. So any type of stability that you can offer is great from the business standpoint. Uh, so that's where like right now the situation that we're in and then, and, and we can, and we can talk about all these subjects, uh, get them out on the table. So the D2 versus the D3. Um, D two D two leagues and and how they should be sanctioned, the pro rel arguments that are out there that that people want to talk about, all is great. I mean, those are all great things to talk about. But it's it, it's almost like when you have uh, instability and just adding more instability doesn't stabilize everything. It just adds to more chaos when it's all said and done. So I'd love to be able to get some stability first so that we can go out and start actively having great conversations about, okay, what about promotion and relegation? Mm-hmm. How, can, how can this happen? Instead of just blatantly saying, hey, this is the solution to all things, and instituting more chaos doesn't necessarily lead to, lead to stability. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty naive standpoint, I think, to just say that promotion and relegation will fix We'd said everything. That ages ago, promotion and relegation will fix everything they do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. But we've, we've been beating that stability drum for a long time. If you're trying to do all these different things and please all the demographics, the MLS can be divisive here. I've mm-hmm. noticed since I moved here, people are either for it or against it. And the pyramid not being a real pyramid, et cetera, et cetera. How do the outside things play? I mean, do you look at the US men's national team possibly not qualifying for the World Cup and go, well, that's another four years we've got to wait? No, it scares the hell out of me. Like, I mean, does that just blow a big hole in the side of your boat? 
because the momentum will go out of the sales and people will be less interested in soccer for the I, next four the, years. No, I think if if we were if if we as sports professionals are putting our business model on the shoulders of USMNT making the World Cup, we're terrible businessmen. I mean, in reality, uh, and and I, I use it, I use this, and I mean, this is a bad analogy, but I'll, I'll use it because it came up in some of our meetings. You know, we talk about scheduling and time of the year, and whether it's cold or whether it's hot, and this and that and the other. And finally, I just uh, I, after we we everyone had debated, I said, look, if we're relying upon the weather to bring our fan base in the stands, we're not doing our jobs. Like our job is to create a fan base, a diehard fan base that will get out and support the team no matter what. Uh, that's our job. That's our job. And there are plenty of examples that uh, of people that do that uh, and teams that do that, especially when it comes to soccer in the United States that have a great following. People will stand out in the rain uh, and the snow uh, and support their team. So that's our job to do that. So. I think from that standpoint, relying on the World Cup, uh, it's our job as team owners to get out and try and put the best product on the field that works with the business model without paying millions of ridiculous dollar and putting your putting your business at risk. Um, best product on the field uh, and in the stadium that provides uh, what your fans are looking for uh, in reality. That's our job. And while it scares the hell out of me that they're not going to make it, it scares the hell out of me that they're not going to make it for the instability again that it creates yeah. um, with the sport and, and its uh, that and its nascent rebirth over the last you know ten fifteen years. Mm-hmm. I don't want to let want us to lose momentum from the from the PR side from the marketing side. It just it it, it'll, it doesn't make our job harder. It makes our job longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just have to continue to 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 grind it out. Extends the timeline. Next window. Yeah. 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 Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, yeah. And now, but I, this is where the question I've got. So, what is from your guys' standpoint? I, I can see it from my business standpoint, from owning the team and operating a team, and what I think makes sense to get there. But you guys, being fans of the game, what is and being again seeing it from the outside. What makes the most sense? I mean, that's what kind of what the question I, I've been waiting to ask somebody is: Tell me why some of these arguments make sense, why they don't make sense, why they're attractive, why they're not attractive, so I can better understand some of the what the fan, what, what the what, fan's perspective is. What sort of arguments are you talking about? So, you know, and you've said that you don't think pro, pro rel makes uh, makes uh, adds adds stability. I see the attraction in pro rel. I really do, and I see why long term it would be really cool to see that system instituted in, in our system. But there's so many far-reaching effects that happen when you institute it, because immediately teams start being protectionist uh, in their rosters. Um, when it's all said and done, players' wages go up, the business models get harder, fans' ticket prices go up in order to support that. And so then you start putting you put start putting a lot at risk, which we already see in American sports, whether it be baseball, basketball, or football. Like the biggest component that you have, the biggest cost you have from an operational perspective, and why ticket prices are so high, is player salaries. Mm-hmm. There's no bigger cost. Uh, and so why I, I while I understand the benefit on one side, I have a problem understanding why that's a good idea or why the fans believe that's a good idea when in the end they're going to end up paying for it in, in spades. Well, I, 
I let me let me answer and I'll take the easy answer first because I've stepped off my soapbox on this topic a lot over the last six to ten months. <laughs> <laughs> so I I used to be firmly in that in the in the camp of yes, ProRail will fix everything and you know, I had the wool over my eyes or whatever. But I I think being promoted on merit is is the key and but the problem is I'm I'm really glad that I don't have to answer that question <laughs> because it's a it's really everyone says well everyone else in the world does it well that's great Every, no other country in the world except for maybe you know India or China has to deal with the geographical issues that we have to deal with mm-hmm. in America and also almost no other country in the world already has a big four of other professional sports to deal with in that arena, mm-hmm. you know, pardon the pun, that you're playing in. So I think it would be great and I think it's I think it's um, really unfair that you have to pay an entry fee into a league. I think being promoted on merit is is a great idea if you can figure out how to do it. And notice how I say if you can figure out how to do it, not if we can figure out how to do it, because like I said, I don't want anything to do with trying to figure out that math problem. Um, but I I still think it should happen. I still think it can happen. I think it needs to be more of a long-term goal set in place by the Federation saying this is a 20-year project that we're going to do. Yeah. And this is what it's going to look like. And we've put a lot of thought into it instead of just, you know, by four years from now, we're going to have promotion and relegation throughout the tier. Yeah. I think the benefits of it are the being promoted on merit. You can earn your way into the league. The two things that I think are holding back football in America are the lack of promotion and relegation and playing on artificial turf. The rest of the world won't take you seriously while you have those two things. Mm -hmm. If you drop ProRail tomorrow, you can earn a spot in the MLS, and the fans are going to have to pay to send a team all over the country. Everybody who is relegated immediately sues the league. They look at every video of every game. He wasn't offside, and he gets called offside. That goal, and if they'd done that, and then X carried the two, mm-hmm. pi R squared, yep, sue them. And you don't have a league at all. Yeah. They'll get tied up in court forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. And people say... It gives the the game some sort of meaning or some sort of point. You know, you can support Detroit all you like. They're never getting relegated from the NFL. It's a closed system. You can be terrible. The waiting list for a ticket to Green Bay for a season ticket is thirty-eight years. Yeah, some crazy. You know, you're talking about people watching sport Denver. The waiting list is like twenty years for a season ticket mm-hmm. to play in four inches of snow and stand there and freeze. Promotion relegation, if your team goes down, like City did, went down to the third level and was still pulling 30,000 people because it's your team. You shouldn't abandon your team if they go down. That's your chance to fight your way back up. But if you impose promotion and relegation before you have the fan base, you're going straight through the floor. Mm-hmm. So that's where... Your team will literally disappear. We, we've, I think we've all kind of scaled back and will... Uh, it was two episodes ago, actually said, you know, I think this might be blasphemy, but I kind of, these are his words, not mine. I kind of understand what Don Garber is doing with MLS and the way that they're expanding slowly, trying to build in that stability. So, But in the Premier League, you don't pay to get in. 
That, and that's the problem. That's the problem I have. They have a hundred years know? of history. The franchise they, fee, yeah. They've spent, yeah. you know, $10,000 a year. There's the 100,000 goes to 500 billion all the way through that century. So now you don't have to pay 200 million to get in. Because if in you're fact, it's pay it's, to join the league. I mean, it's basically the other way around now. And that's because of a little bit because of that, because of the history and because of the, the media rights that, that pay for all of that and subsidize the cost of the league and the player salaries and everything for a lot of it. But yeah, that's a, that's a complicated from an owner's perspective. It's interesting that you guys talk about that because uh, it's a complicated issue from an MLS standpoint. Uh, and while I understand not, not liking the entry fee, yeah, my problem is, is what we, I, we have 780 franchises nationwide. I mean, people that now we provide them a lot of support. Um, and we give a we give them a, a good model to work for them on the staff from a staffing side. That's so I have a, I have a franchise history uh, ingrained in me for my family. So I have less problem with paying a franchise fee when it's all said and done. But if I'm sitting in I'm sitting in Andrew's Craft Cronky uh, Hunt's shoes at the level of investment that had to be made. Because we try and and quite frankly we tried to buy Columbus back in two thousand three and four, uh, or we shouldn't say we tried to. We looked at buying them back in uh, two thousand three and four. When you were with RCA or when you were no, here? when I was here, okay. right, right at the tail end before I left, uh, we looked at we looked at buying them, and they were really upfront about at the time what the financials looked like. And I know I I can I can I shouldn't say no. I can estimate based on on what those numbers look like and what the numbers they were throwing at us, what kind of a yearly investment those guys were having to make, and it was sizable. Mm-hmm. I mean, tens of millions, close to you know, I would say nine figures almost, uh, investing in professional soccer so that we could have a Division One league and we could compete uh, on the World Cup level. Um, and so, as I sit there and I look at that, uh, I mean, because the way owners look at it, it's not just the f- upfront fees you have to that you have to pay to establish to start up. All the losses that you take, those rack up as as investment uh, as well. And then anything you have to put, pay to build a from a capital cost capital standpoint gets added to that tab. So if you can calculate startup costs, you know, from the inception of the MLS startup costs to the capital expenditures on the stadiums, if they if they built them privately or if they had any private involvement at all, and then any losses that they took during that time frame that they had to write off, that's a sizable nut that the that these owners have been looking like. I'm investing all this money, hoping to get a return one day. Right. Um, and now they're seeing they're seeing that in the rise of the of the franchise values. Now they've gone up by a sizable amount. More so than I would have anticipated in the in these last five years, um, they've I would say they're they've out maybe outpaced a little bit, uh, but nonetheless they're getting the they're getting the price. So if they're getting the price, then the market's going to bear it. I don't I don't necessarily have. Do I think they need to probably cap it and stop expanding? Yeah, I've said. I think thirty-two makes sense. I've said it in the media before. They say they're going to only get twenty-eight. Okay, no teams stopped expanding at twenty-eight in the existence of any of the leagues in the United States. Uh, I think there are still markets and still uh, markets that could that could that will do well uh, at thirty-two. So. I think their appetite to get their investment back is going to, uh, I, I would anticipate, would continue, probably should continue to get the return on the investment. And then it's done, and then those those franchise values are there. 
In reality, no one gets rich in this business. The only way you get rich in this business is when you sell. Um, and, and you have to have a massive brand to get, get rich in this business. I mean, Dallas Cowboys, Green Bay Packers, Yankees, Cardinals. Um, Houston Rockets just sold for $2.2 billion. Yeah. Uh, yeah. the, so, you know, big dynasties like that. The the Clipper the Clippers is an outlier. That one happened Steve because Palmer just because of the way boy. it happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you you know you see the 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 way they the way these go. You know that's that's when you make your money. But you have to build something special. You have to have the fan buy in. You have to have all these things, and you have to have a limited number uh, and demand in order to be able to do that. So. Uh, while I don't, uh, yeah, it isn't the best way to do the system. Completely agree with that. I kind of understand it from their standpoint, saying, "Hey, we did the, it's, uh, you know, we need to get something back out of this. Mm-hmm. You know, we invested all this for the good of really the good of the United States and the good of the game because they all had passions for soccer um, at that point in time. So it was, yeah, that's kind of where where my head's at with that. Do, does that make sense? You yeah. can see where we go with that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with promotion relegation as well, you. Things become generational. You know, if you look at the Premier League, how many teams have won the Premier League in 25 years? Half dozen? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, I think you said that. And that's a great... You said that when it's it was... Like I think it was the last 12 one. times. Yeah. yeah. It's a great point. Leicester won it once. Chelsea a couple of times. City, Arsenal. Blackburn won it one year, maybe. It's like... So. You, the relegation fight's great. The Leicester story is great. Leeds, Newcastle, West Bromwich Albion, Aston Villa, Bournemouth, Brighton. They're the jumpy, jumpy every year teams. Right. You know. Leeds, win, Leeds were the last people to win the first division, 91. That was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's big, long term, up and down. and it's, it's like Formula One when Schumacher won five world championships in a row. Yeah. Ewan figures just fell away. People are like, oh yeah, he's going to win again. Yeah, and that's, that's the downside. Yeah, that is the downside. You're right. That is the downside. But it is cool when you have stories where that they come they come into promotion and then make it make it to the top. Those I mean, it, because the way you know it can't happen. It just doesn't happen very often. But when they say, get bought by somebody who's a billionaire and he throws a lot of money into the club. Yeah. Manchester, Manchester City. Okay, that's enough about Man City. Let's let's shift gears because we are uh, we are we do want to respect your time, and uh, I'm actually the one that has to cut this thing short, surprisingly. But um, you mentioned attendance. You mentioned attendance, Mm -hmm. Um, and I wanted to ask. You know, attendance for for our local club for NGFC has grown pretty steadily over the last few years since since the club started. Um, this year, it seems there's been a little bit of a plateau, and obviously the club has done an incredible job of marketing, being in the community, providing an affordable and enjoyable game day experience. Are there times when you think, you know, what what do I have to do to get more people in, into the stands at Taft? All the time, uh, and that's the nature of our business. Um, Lamar Hunt, uh, interestingly enough, Never equated. He's like, we're not in the sports business. We're in the business of selling tickets. That was his uh, kind of what's his mantra, uh, and he's right. Um, and it's a it's a constant battle because the market is always changing. People's appetites are always changing. You they we live in a instant gratification society where we are inundated with images and entertainment on all levels all the time, especially the younger generations. 
And so you've got to constantly be engaging them in new and different ways to make it fun and interesting uh, as a brand. Um, I wish, I wish I had um, 7,000 members of the grid and season ticket holders, uh, people that are fanatics about the game. Right now, we don't have that. We've got casual fans and we've got uh, true uh, supporter fans. Um, but we, so we have to grow that. So but, uh, it's it's incumbent, on us, uh, incumbent upon us to always provide a good experience uh, or a good product on the field, uh, which is difficult to do in a competitive environment when you keep increasing as many teams and taking the supply, player supply out of the market. Um, you've got to, you've got to create a good, clean environment. And I mean, physically clean, like it has to be a nice environment. People that people want to come to, that's a safe environment that they, the, that they feel safe in that, that provides them the overall feeling, uh, that they would expect in other venues. And that is the challenge. I mean, think of all the venues that, that are out there now. Um, Arlington Stadium. Both the Rangers, uh, the Rangers Stadium and the Dallas Cowboys Stadium, you have these giant coliseums with all—I mean, all these bells and whistles. Like people's expectations of what they're going to walk into are pretty high these days. Whereas, as Americans, we're a little bit spoiled uh, from that standpoint. We're in terms very of our spoiled. Experience, yeah, our experience. I mean, because there's just so much more that is expected, and so. It puts a lot of pressure on the professional teams to always maintain that, or at least try to maintain that. So, so it's a real, it's a balancing act. Things are always changing. We're always trying to engage the fan base to feel uh, feel what they want. Your what you expect out of a game is different than what you expect. It's different than what my kids expect. Uh, six and four year old. Uh, it's different from my cousins' uh, kids that are twelve and fourteen. What they expect. Um, so it you know you're you're trying to please everybody to get them in there. Well, we, we kind of touched on this, and we can kind of roll some of these questions into one. If you have 7,000 people attacked, uh-huh. there will be people on soccer Twitter going, giving away tickets. It's all free tickets. Totally. If you have 2,000 people attacked, people go, they're not selling tickets. Yeah. They're a sham. Yeah. We've kind of talked on the podcast recently about whether attendance is the right way to measure success. You know, is there another metric? Is there another... I mean, it can't just be ticket sales because that's, it could be, I don't know what I'm talking about, but that's too easy to shoot down from opposition fans or people that don't like you or. Right. And then with the, the San Francisco Deltas, was it? That mm-hmm. guy did that open letter? Man, that guy got crucified and I hated yeah. it for him. I hated that for him because <clears throat> there is not one owner that hasn't wanted to do what he did. To be honest with you, yeah, I mean, he had cojones in sending that out. For he sure, was, I admire the guy because he was truthful. He was honest. Mm-hmm. He was said, "This is my perspective. This is where we're at," and and just laid it all out there. And I, he's this the 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 Connecticut Whalers uh, owner did that years ago. There was another team owner that did it, um, and another and and baseball. I just laid it all out there, and it's I it it, it kind of pisses me off every time they do it because I know their the motivations are just to be honest and truthful with their community, and saying this is where I'm at. And almost every time, it never generates support. It always back backfires. Negative, yeah. It come always backfires. You might not say it because you own a football club. We can say it because we don't care. We've talked <laughs> that growing the game. Um, before you answer the ticket thing. Growing the game here seems to be very, very vertical. There's a lot of investment. There's a lot of yeah. strategizing. There's different teams on different levels. We've said 
to grow a culture and a fan base and to get people interested needs to be a lot more horizontal. It's take a friend to church. Evangelical. It's the guy you know at work who goes, what's that? And you go, oh, it's so-and-so playing the World Cup. He doesn't care about soccer. He cares about America. Uh Take him to a game. Right. It's $10. That horizontal approach. It seems sometimes if somebody suggests that, fans go, what do you mean I need to do work? Yeah, right. Well, well, exactly. I paid $10 for this. You better have dancing girls and a guy juggling cats. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we need Red Panda at halftime. Come Dumb. on. She's Roll retired. My chair. She's retired. But yeah, you're absolutely right. That's exactly what happens. And I agree with you. Like, it should be the, the fan base should be as bought in as you are. Um, when it's all said and done, that's the that's the hard part to communicate, and I don't know why that gets lost in translation or why it, uh, that response is that way. Like, no, it's not my responsibility. Yes and no. Like, it's our responsibility to put the product on the field. We're paying to put the product on the field. We're paying for the stadium. We're paying for all the amenities that go into it. All we're asking is that uh, the same thing as all owners all across the country and trying to generate is help us generate buzz in order to get people and uh, get people to have that fan base, that dedicated fan base. And I agree with you. That's- what would happen? Genuine question. I'm not a financial planner. What would happen if you sold season tickets that came, you got your grid scarf and you got to sit in the fan section and you got to chant the screen? All the other tickets gave away for free. What would happen? Would it bankrupt the company or? Yeah, completely. Completely. Don't you- do that then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's why you're not a professional sports no. owner. I mean, well, and, Sell. and and here's the and here's the reason. Here's the reason why I'll ask you. And and I don't. This is going to sound combative, and I don't want it to sound combative. But it's the only way I can I can figure out to verbalize it. Is why is it our responsibility to always pay for your entertainment? If no, could you make an extra dollar on the hot dog and things like that to offset it? Oh no. No, you could never make you could never make enough money. And and part two, absolutely would would happy. Would love to give you a, like a. We can talk about all those things. Uh, we can talk about what the metrics are and how and what your costs are going to be versus what you can generate. Um, and I can give real good examples of, of what how that, how that breaks down um, to, to forget bring it up a better understanding. Um, it. It would work to a point if you had enough capacity in the stadium, but in reality, this is what we learned, and we learned. I learned this the hard way with the Blazers because we gave away sixty percent of our tickets, um, and we had a, a average ticket value when all when you included all the giveaways of like four bucks. I mean, it was it was pathetic. Um, that when you gave something away to somebody, you told them it had no value. Uh, and in weird, uh, in a weird way in our psyche, when you tell them it has no value, they don't, they won't spend anything else when you, they come in. Uh, it's, it's the weirdest thing. I've never understood. Uh, I, I mean, I guess I understand it. We as capitalists, when it's all said and done, you give something free, you, you just assign, oh, it was free. It's really of no value. And so then you expect it after that. Um, you have people in the state fair for free. They're going to expect free deep fried butter on a stick. Yeah, it's it's it is it's the craziest thing. Which it reminds they, me, they, they the state fair is coming up. Uh, I can't wait. Starts in a few days. I was I'm genuinely curious, not to you know put people on the spot, but last year you had the big rivalry, and this year you don't. Do oh, you, do you think that affects ticket sales? Do you think that's affected the buzz? Uh, you know, I, somebody, I mean that rivalry got pretty heated pretty quick. Yeah, somebody asked me that question the other day, um, and my inclination. Is to say no, and the here I'll tell you why. 
and I, and as a business owner, I'm always going to take responsibility. Um, we as an organization, we had a we had a uh, a clearing of the house here recently, um, and we made I think some hiring decisions that just didn't work out, and we didn't do our job selling tickets. This is the this is the honest truth of it. Um, we are, uh, we're in the business of selling tickets to, to again, quote Lamar. We didn't do our job. We didn't get out and sell tickets like we should have. Now we've since remedied that. And we have, uh, what I would call an all-star team back in our sales department that is, that is really good at finding people, reaching out people that are interested in the sport, getting them into the games and engaging them along those lines. But the, the honest truth is that's, that's, we didn't do probably do our job coming into the season. So I don't think it had anything to do with the rivalry. We just... We didn't make it happen like we should have. I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to wrap this one up. Sure, absolutely. Um, Sorry, uh, I guess no, I spoke too no, long. please, I please, mean. no. Th- this was amazing. I want to thank you so much for your time. But it sounds like we're tentatively on for a part two. TV, oh, anytime. I was gonna tell you guys that anytime you guys want to talk, I'm happy to happy to sit and discuss these issues because again, I want I want feedback too along those lines. Uh, and and. You guys are a great resource to help me understand on the other side of the table, outside from the business table. Look at that. You're making Alan blush. (laughs) You can't tell because of his beard, but I can tell. (laughs) So uh, round two, to be determined with pie charts and PowerPoints. (laughs) And uh, we're going to get a full rundown on what it's like to own a professional sports team. And um, that's it. Great interview. Great conversation. And we'll do it again soon. All right, that was Bob Funk Jr., uh, Alan and myself. Hope you enjoyed it. As I said, very transparent, very insightful. I think there were some great questions asked by both sides. I think there was some great dialogue. Um, I'm very excited to speak more in the future about the direction of the USL. It seems like um, Mr. Funk has no problem discussing Uh, the league and the team and where the team fits in the league. So excited to talk about that. If you have any questions out there you want us to ask, feel free to shoot them to us on Twitter at scissortailpod. Send us an email, scissortailpod at gmail.com.